The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. Today, um, it's a very interesting day. I mean, because most of the things we are going to be sharing today are unscripted. Yeah, totally unscripted. And um, um, we will uh, are going to be taking questions um, directly from, from you. Um, you. There are several ways. You could raise your hand when I ask, or you could, okay, we have slips, fantastic. You, you could, if you want to be anonymous, maybe you think um, um, you're more comfortable asking that question without people knowing you are the one, you can write the question um, down and pass it to any of the ushers, and they will get it to us. Um, and some of you... Um, I've sent in questions. I have a few um, here, and, and also um, some of these questions have been asked in the past. I've put them down also, and um, my colleague and I, we sat down today, and, and we added a couple of questions here. So we will, um, there's no particular order, as, and there's no particular scope we will be taking questions from the previous teachings of, of Thrive. However, we are not limited to, to, to what we've taught. It could be something totally um, out of, of that scope. Yeah, you are free to, to ask those questions. As much as possible, we will um, try and look up the, the passage of Scripture that applies so that you have the direct references, or in many of those instances, we will point you um, to where to look for. So you have to do your own search yourself. But we will answer the questions as God enables us to. So where do we start from? From here or from there? Does everybody have a question? Okay, while you are thinking of your question, let me read one from here. It says... How can I achieve excellence without being a workaholic? Um, how can I achieve excellence without being a workaholic? That's from last week's teaching. Um, we, we, we talked about excellence, and before then, we had talked about how not to be a workaholic. So the question is, how do I achieve excellence without being a workaholic? Um, the, the answer to that is this. You need to know the difference between um, perfection and excellence. That is one. And secondly, you need to also understand the concept, the mythical concept of balance that we explained. But I'm going to go over it again. Um, perfection is different from excellence. Perfection says... Everything must be perfect before I move on. Excellence says, 
while I'm here, I give my best to the glory of God. Totally different things. Now, what perfection does to you is that it puts pressure on you to be unrealistic. And, and when you're unrealistic, you tend to overdrive yourself. And that's where workaholism, I mean, comes in. But excellence, on the other hand, knows that I have um, certain gifts from God. I have certain abilities. And I am going to give my all while I am here. Excellence knows when to drop the pen and leave the rest to God. In fact, is God breathing on your work really after you've given your best that makes it excellent? So, that is one concept you need to understand. The other concept is the mythical balance of, um, mythical concept of balance that, that we talked about, which is in life, folks want to have um, a middle point where everything is, in a, is at equilibrium, you know? And, and we explained that that middle point is not a fixed point. Balance suggests a fixed point. And we, we talked about integration. Integration, we explained, if you missed that teaching, you may want to get it, that integration is not a fixed point. So, depending on the season you are in, if you're an entrepreneur, for instance, you would agree with me that there's a season in the life of your business that you are the accountant, you are the customer service person, you are the sales person, you are the marketer, you are the IT guy, you are the everything. <laughs> At that stage, you may have certain traits of workaholism. But if you have the big picture in mind, you know it's a season and you should work to get out of that stage and put systems in place so that you've systemized everything and things can work without you, then you can now have time for your family. But there are certain seasons that you have to put a lot of work in, then you do it. But a workaholic doesn't know when to stop. A workaholic is like that throughout his life. That's the difference. I hope that helps. Okay. Um, second question here is from Sunday's teaching. In Romans 9, 13 and 17, you may help us put up the scripture. You know, God said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Now the, the question is, this way, babies, I mean, for crying out loud, Esau didn't seem to get a chance, you know, and God already condemned him, you know. So is that fair? Isn't that unrighteousness? That's the question. And of course, verse 17, if you look at verse 17 of that same Romans 9, it talks about Pharaoh. That God says, I have made Pharaoh for destruction. Is that 
fair. For the scripture says unto Pharaoh, even for this purpose, I have raised thee up that I might show my power to thee, that my name might be declared throughout the earth. You know, when you read these things about God, it makes you, you know, kind of shudder. And you're like, how do I know all the bad things that are happening to me? <laughs> how do I know it's not God that is setting me up? <laughs> how do I know? And because, you know, we, as a people, we tend to believe the negative more than we believe the positive. So, if, if, if you wake up in the morning and you get out of your house and you see one old man dressed in charms, cursing you, most people will be afraid that when they wake up and they see maybe their house fellowship leader just passing by and blessing them, they just say amen and go. They will give it another thought. So we tend to believe the negative. So when we, when we see these kind of scriptures, we, we, we kind of say to ourselves, no hope. Or maybe God has ordained me for destruction. Or maybe God didn't even like me at all, you know, and all that stuff. Now, I pray that God will give you understanding in Jesus' name. There are two concepts I need to explain. For us to fully understand this passage of scripture. The first concept is the concept of favor, which is the concept of God's sovereignty, which is the concept of God being the porter and we being the clay. And the porter can do as he pleases with the clay. So if you put up that um, scripture um, again and um, back to 13 and if you go to verse 14 now it says are we saying then that God is unfair you know we said favor is what favor is not fair are we saying that God is unfair Of course not. It says, um, verse 15, For God said to Moses, I will show mercy on whom anyone I choose, and I will show compassion on anyone I choose. Next verse, thank you. So it is God who decides who to show mercy on. Or 2, verse 18. Thank you. Says, so you see, God chooses to show mercy to some, and he chooses to harden the heart of others. So they refuse to listen. Verse 19. Well then, you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he Makes them do. Verse 20. He says, no, don't say that. Here comes God's sovereignty. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? 
Should the thing that was created say to the one that created it, why have you made me like this? Verse 21. When the potter makes jar out of clay, does he have a right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and then another to throw into garbage? Garbage into, rather. In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, is very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. Take it away. Now, so this brings us to the heart of Sunday's teaching. So if you were here on Sunday, you will understand how to deal with scriptures of I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy on and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion, right? So you already know how to tackle that. Number one, you're a child of God. You're a child of God. So this should make you excited, you know, rather than make you afraid. And number two, we learned how to provoke it, you know, from God. We can, we can petition, you know, and we can what? Please, you know, and, and all that. So that aspect of God's sovereignty doesn't scare us anymore. That's, 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 that's the first part, way to really understand these passages of Scripture. The other would be, omniscience of God, the all-knowing of God. God knows the end from the beginning. God knows that Esau was going to make the terrible choices he made. So God can start from the beginning and say, this is what's going to happen to this guy. I really don't like the people that make decisions like this. God he knew that Esau was going to, for a loaf of bread, a, a bowl of beans. Someone said if it were shawarma, I, I can understand. How can it be beans? <laughs> you know, for a bowl of beans, he sold his birthright. Did anybody put a gun on his head? The devil was not even there to tempt him to do it. He did it himself. It was, that's not God's fault. But the omniscience of God, the all-knowing dimension of God, already knows that Esau was going to make that decision. Similarly, Pharaoh, God knew Pharaoh before he made Pharaoh. And he made him. This is you. This is what you're going to do. You know? I know you're going to do this. And this, I'm going to use you to achieve my purpose. Let me say this. God wants to promote you. You are his child. He wants to promote you. And he knows that there cannot be a promotion without an examination. So God says, I need somebody to pester this girl. So that this girl can overcome this pestering and I can promote her and deal with this person. 
God will look for the person he has been waiting to deal with all along. He will say, okay, come, you come. Pester my child for me. My child will overcome. And so I will have a reason to promote my child. And I will have a reason to not punish you because of you pestered my child. <laughs> now, that is the truth of how God deals. Knowing God will help you be on the right side. So, maybe you have someone that is pestering your life right now. Just smile. Smile because you as a child of God, you know what is going to happen next. You know, your own challenge is to pass the examination. Don't get bitter. Don't do evil for evil. Don't, you rise above the situation. Then watch God do what only he can do. Promote you and deal with the adversary. Praise the name of the Lord. So, um, do we have questions yet? Does anybody have a question yet? Okay, so let's, let's keep going. Clear um, thinking. You said we should put God first. In our relationships, how do we put God first? You said you should put God first. Okay, I think the question is, the person knows that it's easier to put God first in your finances, right? So how do I put God first in my relationships? How do I put God first in my relationships? That's pretty straightforward. You put God first in your relationships by um, making decisions. Every decision you need to make in your relationship should honor God. That's putting God first. Making God priority in your relationship. For instance, if you have a sister and your sister really hurts you, and in that relationship, you want to keep malice. To keep, put God first is to what? Is to forgive. That's to put God first. Someone says here, at, thank you, at the transfiguration, Jesus was there and there was Moses and Elijah. Why those two? Why Moses and Elijah? Why not David and Daniel? Why not um, Mary and Martha? Okay, those ones were alive. Why not Adam and Eve? <laughs> you know? Um, the answer to that is also pretty straightforward. Moses represented the law. Elijah represented the prophet. So you had the, the law and the prophet fulfilled in Christ. That's the answer to the transfiguration. Um, the question here says, how can I ensure that I am still aware of occurrences in my business though I have given autonomy to staff to make decisions? Okay. Um, that's a good question. That's some business mentoring that is required. But basically, um, delegation, as they say, is hands off, eyes on. Hands off, eyes on. So the fact that you've handed off doesn't mean you take your eyes off. If you take your eyes off, people will do strange things. 
In fact, listen, people, most people, 90% of people do only things that are measured. They do only things that they are being watched to do. Very few people, very few of us don't need supervision, do our best work regardless of whether we are being watched or not. Very few. So, the fact that you are delegating hands off doesn't mean your eyes should be off. So, how do I do this? It's simple. Come up with a system. So, at the end of your system should be a dashboard. So, you should have a dashboard that shows you the parameters. Church, for instance, I have a dashboard that shows me the parameters in different areas. So, I'm seeing what is happening here, what is happening there, what is happening here, what is happening there. I've delegated and I've systemized Let's take um, a process in church, for instance. Let's take follow-up process in church, for instance. We've systemized follow-up process at the end of the day. So there's a checklist. The person that does it goes through this. There's a script. You call the person. Da, 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 da. So we've systemized it. Anybody can do it. But at the end of the day, I want to see the results on my dashboard. This is the number of people that have come. This is the number of people that have followed up. It's not people that say they were coming back. It's not my people that say that um, they are in another church. It's not my people that say oh, they are not decided. It's not my people that live out. So I see everything. And if I don't see it, I know something is up, something is wrong. So I need to step in and find out what is going on. So the fact that you delegate doesn't mean you keep your eyes off. Your eyes must be on. There has to be a reporting system. The people you've delegated to must be held accountable. I hope that helps. Um, a question here says, please, I need clarity over obey your father and mother so that your days may be long. Does, does it mean even against the will of God? Um, I know that when parents say, obey your father and mother, and they are telling you to do something that is wrong, sometimes they will tell you, even God says, obey your father and mother, so that it will be well with you. The answer is this. When it's contrary to God, respectfully disobey your father and mother, and obey God. Why? Because if your father and mother are against you, God can still bless you and lift you up. If God is against you, your father and mother, joined together, cannot bless you and lift you up. <laughs> Praise the name of God. So, your allegiance should be to God. God is a higher authority than your father and your mother. I hope that helps. Okay. Um, someone says here, Sent, sent in a mail that did Jesus pay tithe? Was tithe paid by anyone in the New Testament? I mean, this is a very um, interesting question. Almost every time we have Q&A, we always have questions on tithe <laughs> or on money or on giving, you know, and, and it's, it's very interesting, but the simple answer is this. With everything with God, 
like we've been saying for like two past, two Sundays ago. Sundays? Yeah. With everything with God, you can approach it by obligation. That is the foundation of religion. And God is not interested in religion. So if it's an obligation, God is not interested in it. Or you can approach it from a relationship standpoint. If you approach it from a relationship standpoint, you will find God there. Anything at all, including tithing. So, you, you, Pastor, you are telling me that I can be tithing out of religion and, and God is not paying respect to it? Yes. You can. But you can also be tithing out of relationship and it delights God. So, back to the question. Did Jesus pay tithe? Who was he going to tithe to? Praise the Lord. <laughs> That's the question. But if you back up, you will understand that the concept of tithing, people that ask this question come from the school of thought that tithe is the, tithing is the Old Testament, uh, Old Covenant. We are in the New Covenant, so we don't need to tithe. And they are mistaken. You know why? Because tithing precedes the Old Covenant. Praise the name of the Lord. So I need to do a little bit of theology here so that um, we have the big picture. You see, when Adam sinned, even before, before, yeah, when Adam sinned, God drove Adam out of the Garden of Eden and God sought to restore fellowship with man. So God from Genesis to Malachi is filled with stories of God trying to, until Jesus came and restored us. Now, so one of God's strategies was that, look, I'm going to find a man and that man will walk with me by faith. And he found a man, Abraham. Abraham was not under the law, praise the name of the Lord. Abraham was not under the law at all. Abraham had a relationship with God. In fact, the Bible said Abraham was a friend of God. The relationship with God and Abraham is friend to friend. It's how God had always wanted it. And God said to, to Abraham, I'm going to set up, start a new nation through you. And through you will come the Savior, my son. I will come through your seed and extend the salvation to the whole world. So the nation of Israel was born purely out of relationship. The law had not come in. In fact, Cain and Abel, Cain gave what he felt. Abel gave God false fruits. Who taught him how to pay false fruits? Is that the law? Cain and Abel existed before the law, prior to the law. So it, it was born out of their hearts and relationship with God. So God started the nation, Israel. The nation of Israel had a lot of ups and downs. After a while, they said to Moses, this God is too, we don't want to work with him. You go and meet him. 
then come and tell us what it tells you. Are you following me so far? And we will obey it. I mean, it was man that instituted the um, mediator kind of thing, relationship between him. God wants to talk to everybody individually, which is why we are, we are having the series that starting on Sunday, thus says the Lord. Every, God doesn't want you to go to a prophet to hear him. God wants to talk to you himself. So the nation of Israel said to Moses, you go and talk to God. Then come and tell us. And we will obey. There began the problem. So over time, God says, you see, these guys are just behaving anyhow. Let me give them the law. So there came the old covenant. The old covenant, the law came with Moses. Grace and truth came with Jesus. The law came with Moses. In Romans, grace and truth came with Jesus. So what happened before Moses? Before Moses was what God had in mind. Job was not under the law. Job had a relationship with God. Even Balak, Balaam, the prophet, he was not a Jew. But he had a relationship with God. He could, he could profess, he could see. And he, was, he had a relationship with the living God, but he was not in a line. And we sit together. Now, so the law came. So God had to say, okay, you know what? Let me systemize and regulate how these people relate. Don't, thou shall not kill. Thou shall not murder. Um, commit adultery. Thou shall not steal. Thou shall not covet your neighbor's uh, one of you. Honor your father and your mother. And give them the Ten Commandments. That was the moral law. Then in Leviticus, he gave them a series of what is known as ceremonial laws. This is how to kill a chicken. This is how to wash your hands. This meat are clean. This meat are clean. So there, there's, a, there's the moral law, there's a ceremonial law. So when Jesus came, Jesus came to eradicate the law. Which law did Jesus come to eradicate? old covenant, the old way of accessing God, which is largely the ceremonial law and every other thing around law. So, pastor, are you saying Jesus did not come to eradicate the moral law? No, he came to fulfill it. Why don't you say Jesus came to eradicate the moral law? Thou shalt not kill. I'm not under the law. Go and kill somebody. You will know whether you're under the law or not. My, my point is this. Jesus came to fulfill it and to, to reestablish that relationship that man lost in, in Eden so that we are able to come to God one on mano a mano, man to man. I mean, as in man to God, you know. <laughs> one on one. So, even if you read, I think, Romans 4, God said, Christ connected us so that we become heirs of Abraham. 
Jesus came to make us children of, of who? Abraham. Abraham was not under the law. So, did Abraham pay tithe? Of course he did. Pay tithe to Melchizedek. I think Exodus 14 or something. So, in fact, the Bible says Levi paid tithe from Abraham's loins in in Hebrews 7. So, this issue of tithe predates the law and exists after the law. So, did Jesus pay tithe? He didn't. But the question is, what did Jesus say about tithing? He did say about tithing. He says, he was rebuking the Pharisees. He was saying, why are you saying, just pay your tithe, you don't need to obey your father and your mother. That's what they were teaching. You, once you pay your tithe, you are fine. You don't need to obey your father and your mother. God is saying, no, 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 no. Jesus said, no, no, no. You should do this without letting that go. You should pay your tithe without disobeying your parents. That's what Jesus said. Even though he said some are lesser issues and some are bigger issues. Praise the name of the Lord. So that's the answer to that. So what law did Jesus come to eradicate? What covenant did Jesus come to eradicate? The old covenant. Because he has come with a new covenant. So that's that. Now, another question here says, um, you said we can provoke favor. Isn't that working for favor? You know, we said that if you work for something for, and you deserve it, it's not favor. So, and the person, she's saying, if you provoke, you, you taught us how to provoke favor, to pray and to please God, am I not working to get favor? Is it, then it's not favor, you know. The answer to that is pretty straightforward. The fact that you provoke something doesn't mean you've worked for it. Let me give you an example. You have a son. Your son says, oh, dad, I'm in university. This is year one. Um, I need a car. And you say to your son, when you graduate, I'll give you a car. And your son comes again and petitions, oh, I've graduated. I need a car. And you say, okay, because you're my son, I want to favor you. I give you, give him the key of a brand new car. And your son goes around saying, I end this car. Because I, I worked for it by asking. That just sounds very foolish. He <laughs> didn't, didn't work for nothing. Your father could have said, I'm not giving you. And there's nothing you could have done. So it's favor. So the fact that you are able to provoke it does not take away from it. I hope that helps. Um, good evening, Pastor. How does one cope during the period of waiting for the fulfillment of a promise from God after having done all within one's power by praying, fasting, sowing seeds towards the promise? Thank you. I mean, this is a, a very good question because... 
um, is something that if you're a Christian, you are going to have to deal with this matter. This matter of trusting God for a promise. I have done all I need to do. What should I do? What you should do also is pretty straightforward. The word of God says, haven't done all. Do what? Stand. Haven't done all. Stand. Um, and it goes on to say, stand therefore with your, I think that's Ephesians 6. I wanted to um, search for it, but I, I, I just remembered it. Ephesians 6. Stand. So when you've done all, stand. Why? Because when you are standing, at the end of the day, you will receive the promise. Those that with faith and perseverance receive the promise, the Bible says we should emulate them. So stand. It's tough. Stand. To help you stand, find a live group. Join a life group. Find a community. Have Christians that will encourage you. People that are on the same journey. It may not be exactly the same journey, but they too, they know what it is to trust God and to wait. They can pray with you. They can hold your hand. But you see, at the end of the day, God will fill your mouth with laughter and your tongue with singing. And you can take that to the bank. Okay, the question here says, what is the first step for growth for the insecure? The first step for growth for the insecure is to get all the cities of the tribe, honestly, from, from clear thinking and listen to it. Look, it will change your life. Why? Because it will really ground you in God's love. And once you are grounded in God's love, that's the key to insecurity. But if I just tell you, be grounded in God's love, I mean, if, if you knew how to do it, wouldn't you have done it before now? <laughs> you know? So there's a, there's a whole teaching to it. You can download it for free on your, on your mobile devices and listen to it, to the whole teaching, and it will, it will really help you. Praise the name of the Lord. Okay, let me see. We've done this, we've done that. We've done that, we've done that, we've done that, we've done that. We've done that. Thinking clearly about finances. It says, if one party, if you are married, and one party is following the five steps of you know, uh, of financial security. And the other party is not following. Does that cover the family? Hmm. That's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, the answer to that is not very straightforward. <laughs> because it depends on the scenario. But largely... What one person does will affect the other. That is why, that is, that's, that's the beauty and the challenge of marriage. What one person does will always affect the other. 
always. So if you are obeying the five principles of financial security, it will benefit your spouse. Also, if he or she is not obeying the five laws and is, he or she is doing whatever they please, it will also affect you. To what degree will it affect? Let's say you're a 10 and the person is a 1. Will you be on a 5? It depends on who has a stronger anointing. If the person on the 1 has a stronger anointing, both of you are going to be on 3. If you have a stronger anointing, both of you can end up on a 7. But you will not be a 10, I can assure you. It's not going to happen. Except you are not married. If it's marriage, it's not going to happen. Does that help? I hope it does. You have more questions? Thank you. Is it that you people prefer to write? No one ask questions. It says, what could be the issue issues when tithe is paid above one has ever paid before and the person goes down financially and I'm sure I'm not living a sinful life. Is this the sovereignty of God? <laughs> but his word says we should test him with our time, this is a very good question. Very, very good question. I wish I knew the person that asked this question. Because, you see, sometimes, I'm not saying this is your story. Because it depends. There's no one silver bullet for this. Because it can be from any direction. But I will try and answer it as, as broadly and as deeply as I can. Now, first off, the fact that a Christian has a problem does not mean he's insane. You need to understand that. The fact that a Christian has a problem does not mean there's something, his life is not right. Can not living a righteous life attract problems? Yes, it can. But the fact that you have problems does not mean you are living an unrighteous life. You need to understand that. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the of the righteous, Psalm 37. Sir? Yeah. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Uh, few? Many. But the key thing is, but the Lord. You know, it's, I'm always ex excited when I read that. But the Lord delivers them from a few of them. From them all. Amen. <laughs> And that is so powerful and so comforting. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Believe me, I, I know how to tithe and things appear to be tight. I know it. But you see, like I was telling the guys that were signing up for Governors of Wealth, on Sunday, very interesting group. I said to them, if you are D 
dealing with God like Kalo Kalo, like jackpots, you are going to miss God. This thing we are doing is not Ije Yoje. You know where Ije Yoje is? Okay, Ije, okay, let me see. No, 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 let me not do this. No, no, let me take it back. Then let me do. You will miss God by a kilometer. This thing is a work of faith. And faith must be tried. Otherwise, it's not faith. It's in the Bible. Faith must be tested. Otherwise, it's not faith. How you know it is faith is when it passes the test. Then you know you You see, someone says, I believe God for healing. It's because you don't have health problems. But guess what? When you have, if you have health problems, and you are still able to believe God for healing, and you now get healed, then you have faith for healing. Am I making sense? Good. So, in this scenario, you don't, it don't, don't say, some, oh, but I'm living, pay my tithe, I should, I'm living a righteous tithe. No. God may be taking you on a journey. I, I, I've thought about myself. I know how to tithe and things are tight. So, what do you do when you are tightening and things are tight? What do you do? You stand. You keep tightening. Listen, 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 guys. Giving is what you use to break the back of poverty. I'm telling you. Do you want to break the back of poverty in your life? That's the way. I Gave, because by the grace of God, I give more than 10%. By the grace of God, I give more than 20%. By the grace of God. <laughs> As my tithe. I'm talking about my offering. Have I had scenarios that are like, ah, things are so tight, God, let me just take back. After all, it's 10% you say you want now. Let me just say, uh, so I can chuck this place and chuck that place. The just shall not live by logic. The just shall live by faith. I know you are not clapping very well. <laughs> logic is that's logic. It can't take you far with God. You want to see God in action. That's why it's a sacrifice. When, you see, doing the percentage I do, do you think it's convenient? Ah. But you see, by the grace of God, the back of poverty is broken in my life. Totally by the grace of God. You see, when, even though I will say it, when I used to hear um, some, I'm not talking about pastors that don't know what they are doing. No. I, did, I, know, I know one or two pastors that really know what they are doing. But when I heard them make this statement, I really didn't like it. I thought, I thought they were being arrogant. Years ago, I heard one of them say something like, I can never be poor again. Never. And my man, I'm like, why do pastors say things like this? I mean, this is not unnecessary. And it's, it's you know, it's not, but right now, I understand what they are saying. I'm not saying it too. But I can't say, by the grace of God, 
the back of poverty is broken in my life, in the life of my children, and generations yet to come. Because, listen, your tithes affect the children that come from your loins. Don't you understand it? You cut them, you, you are mortgaging their destiny by... Okay, so that should have helped that person. God said, thou shalt not kill. Then what is the function of the police? <laughs> Army and Navy. <laughs> well, I dare say the function of the police is not to kill. <laughs> the function of the police is to enforce the law. They are law enforcement agents. <laughs> so what, this is what is in the law, and this is what should be enforced. For instance, I was... Um, apprehended by the police. I was stopped by the police and they wanted to do some things and I said to the guy, what you want to do is illegal. It's not in the law. And I told him the law. And he was like, eh? He said, you show me the law. You show me the constitution. I said, oh God, you don't even know the law. I'm telling you this you want to do is illegal. The problem is that Nigerians, many of us, we don't even know the law. So you think police job is to kill? <laughs> it's not to kill. Okay, maybe armed robbers, maybe when there's a shootout, maybe, I don't know. Army, Navy, same thing. In a war situation. God doesn't see, this may shock you, God doesn't see killing in a war situation as murder. For instance, I have a gun at home. I'm not saying I have one. I have a gun at home. It's loaded. You come with daggers. You say you want to kill my wife and my daughter. And we blow your head off. <laughs> In righteousness. <laughs> But I will give you an opportunity to accept Jesus before I blow it. <laughs> so at least you can go to heaven and spend time. But I will still blow it. Ah. And I would not have murdered. It's not murder. Paddy? Oh, you even know the law. <laughs> it's in self defense. Don't even try it. <laughs> so there are situations that is not murder. Okay? That shall not kill. It's talking about murder. Based on last week's topic on excellence at work, does going two miles for somebody means me working in the office till 10 p.m. when the normal closing time <laughs> is 6 p.m.? Secondly, does doing more than expected mean me working in a working place where I don't have time for myself, my family, and even for God, church, pastor? I need deeper explanation. Well, the first one, does, should, do I, must I close at 10 p.m.? When normal closing time is at 6, if I want 
to go the extra mile. If you keep doing that, like you have rightly said, you're going to hurt yourself, hurt your family, hurt your work with God, hurt everything about your life. However, let's say there's a project, there's a deliverable. Your, your boss needs something to be sorted out. And you close at 6. And you, 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 if you go at 6, it will be sorted out. You need to submit a proposal tomorrow morning, first thing at 8 a.m. You better wait till 10. If you close at 6, Jesus will not be happy with you. It's in the Bible. Did you not see it last week? He expects you to go overboard. But say, Pastor, what if we are always having deliverables? <laughs> then you need to now sit down with your boss and work out something that works for both of you. That's what, that's what I would say you should do. And of course, that answers the second question also. You must make out time, if you are married, for your family, for God, for church, for serving. You must make out time. Why? Because, God forbid, if you die, your office, in less than a month, they will replace you. One week, you see? But if you die on that job, your children cannot find another father. Your wife cannot find another husband. At least not in one week. If she does, we will suspect that. <laughs> or your husband cannot find another wife in one week. Or your husband cannot, you know, your church will miss you daily. I mean, you come to your house, sit with your people, cry together. Your office, if you are very high up, they will place an advert in the newspaper. <laughs> that doesn't help anybody. So you need to pay attention to the people that your vacuum will be irreparable in their lives. You need to pay attention to them. I don't, want to, I don't want to read this one. I don't want to read this one. <laughs> because we have children here. But maybe I'll, I'll code it. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll pause it. I'll get back to it. God, knowing the end from the beginning, why then did he not change Esau rather than allow him to be destroyed by his choices? That's a good question. Is it right to say that there are people who will never repent. They are doomed or created for destruction like Pharaoh. Now, that question bordered again on God's sovereignty and his sovereignty, his sovereign nature to create us as free moral agents. In fact, God chose to make us Creatures that can make decisions. God did not create us as robots. If God created us as robots, then this would be valid. But God created us as creatures. Do you know that you can even say no to God? And there's nothing God can do about it, really. For there are people here, you are not saved. You know you are not born again. You have been saying no to God. 
Has God broken your head? He hasn't. You know why he hasn't broken your head? He's respecting your decision. But you know what about your decision? That's the other side of being a free moral agent. You are free to make your decision. But as a free moral agent, you are not free to choose the consequences of your action. God says, I said before you life and death. Choose life that you may live. This way will lead you to life. This way will lead you to death. You choose. It's your choice. If you choose to go this way, you can pray and fast. Where is it going to lead to? Death. If you choose to go this way, you don't even need to pray. Where is it going to lead to? Life. Same thing with Esau. Same thing with Pharaoh. Same thing with everybody. You see, in, I think in Second Peter, it says, it is not God's will for any to perish. Don't think God's patience is foolishness. He doesn't want anybody to perish, but he wants everybody to repent and come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. Question, are people not perishing every day? They are perishing every day. So God has chosen in his sovereignty to make us free moral agents. We are able to make our choices. But guess what? We will also live with the consequences of our choices. So, if somebody chooses never to be on God's side, God will not fight him, but hell is waiting. If somebody chooses to be on God's side, it's the same thing. Heaven is waiting. Now, heaven, hell, those are places of rewards, if you will. They are not necessarily places of wickedness, there, as in hell. It's a, they are places of reward. Reward for the choice we make. For, for, for Christ, choosing Christ, the reward is, is heaven. Fellowship with God. Okay. Ah, so much to God will help us. Did Jesus create other people apart from Adam and Eve? If not, then who did Cain marry after he was sent out of God's presence? That's a very good question. Um, if you notice the way the Bible is written, between verse 1 and verse 2 can be 200 years in the Bible. But the way it's written, you, you think it is the next second. No. Adam had other children. Came either married his sister or his cousin. Or maybe his niece. But it's only from Adam and Eve. Did Adam and Eve have daughters? Yes, they did. The Bible says later on had sons and daughters. Um, I have been doing a business I have passion for. For the past three years, I've never gained a dime. Rather than I lost and got broke. Should I persist? Note, I always re-strategize. I don't know what that means, but... Um, you're always do, you've been doing a business for the past three years. You've been losing out, no profit. You are recording losses. Should you persist? It depends. It depends. Some businesses don't break even until five years. Some businesses, so it depends. 
Some businesses is three years, some businesses is six months. It depends. Why have you been making profit? If it's, a business, if it's a business that you should have made profit in six months, there may be something else in your system is eating your profit. Maybe you've employed a thief that is stealing all your inventory. I don't know. But it's something you want to take a close look at. If you, if you really are interested, you could come see me and talk about it in detail. Or I could refer you to someone you can talk to in detail. Pastor, I'm very, very shy and it's affecting me in almost all areas of my life. Business, marriage most especially. What do I do? Are you married or not? I need to know. If you are married, you are shy, it's affecting your marriage. How? <laughs> if you are not married, it's affecting how you get married. It can. <clears throat> you know, we have a my wife and I have a master class for, for ladies, you know, single ladies. There are just about 10 or 12 of them. And we sit together and we just talk. And, and, and one of them had this question on Sunday. And she was shy. She was like, how do I meet guys and talk? Even in church, I mean, I'm, I'm shy. You know, blah, blah, blah. So we gave her an assignment, which you may want to do, which is, I said to her, Every service, walk up to a guy you don't know in church and talk to him. She was like, I just I said, just talk to him. I'm not saying, talk, say, marry me. <laughs> I'm just saying, have a conversation. So, by next Sunday, we meet, she should have spoken to two or three guys. So, she would tell us, because practice makes perfect. The more you practice, the more you practice, the better you get at it. And you find out that being shy is just, it's nothing. You know, it's a choice. Largely. There is sin that doesn't lead to eternal death. I understand that all sin is sin. Are there actual categories? This person is referring to 1 John 5, 16 and 17. Can you put up 1 John 5, 16 and 17? While that is coming up, I have faith in God to settle all things, but... I still get worried over issues. What should I do? Get the CD of Tribe, and I'm, I'm, I mean this seriously, from thinking from part one, the two series that we've done, right? This is the third series. The first two series we've done in Tribe, and listen to it. This will be sorted out. Worry will be a thing of the past. Praise the name of the Lord. What do I do when my boss doesn't appreciate my efforts, even when I am going the extra mile. Were you here last Wednesday? If you were, if the answer was given, you walk as unto the Lord, and God will promote you. So your, your boss does not appreciate you, fine. Walk as unto, you even heard a testimony on Sunday of, of a lady that the boss was shouting at, da, 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 and, you know, she applied the word of God, and she got results. So, Maybe you want to listen to that teaching again and God will help you. The Bible says we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. My question is, what if the people around me are really, really getting me angry? Do I still need to keep quiet or give them a punch? <laughs> yes, you do. Sometimes 
people around you will try you. But greater is he that is within you. Everybody say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Okay. This question says, is masturbation truly a sin? Huh? <laughs> They've given you your answer. <laughs> what I would say is this. I don't want to explain detail because of very sharp young people that we have. As in, I'm not a, teenagers should know this. I'm not talking about teenagers. I'm talking about, you know what I'm saying. The subtents and their, their ears are like this. So what I would suggest is get the, um, the series on sex. The, the last series on sex, if you ask them for the last series on, on sex, they will give it to you for free. As in, not the city, the um, um, Geek Squad, or you can download it for free yourself. This question says, sir, on Sunday, you, okay, before then, let me sort this out. First John 5, 16. It says, if any man sees his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for, for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he should pray for it. Verse 17. He says, all unrighteousness is sin and there is a sin unto death. So what God is saying basically is this. This person asks, are there categories of sin? Now, the answer to that is capital letter yes. But to fully understand that, yes does not mean there's a small sin and there's a big sin. That's not what yes means. Any kind of sin can separate you from God. Any kind of sin. So, yes means that Different kind of sins have different damages, make different impacts, negative impact on our lives. So, for instance, when God was talking about fornication and adultery, he says, when you commit adultery or fornication, you are sinning against your own body. In other words, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? He that defiles the temple of God, him will God. That's in the New Testament. Too. For, for people that will say it's only the Old Testament that God destroys. It's in the New Testament. So, that is different. In fact, the Bible says that there's a sin without the body. But it's a sin, when you sin against your body, it's heavier. Also, there are certain sins that only concerns you. But there are certain things that will affect you, your children, your children, your children's children. In fact, there are certain things that will not only affect you and your children, it will affect anybody around you. Do you know that? Jonah kind of sin. The Jonah kind of sin that will sink a ship regardless of who is there. May you not be on that kind of a ship. Or it could be the Sodom and Gomorrah kind of sin. Homosexuality. And lesbianism. It affects the whole community. There are certain sins that affect only you. Homosexuality affects the whole community. 
Praise the Lord. So, different things have different impacts. Sir, on Sunday, you did mention education to be one of the ways to attract and maintain favor consistently and said to acquire it. What happens in a situation where each time you try to get into school, the system frustrates your efforts, your every effort. You pass every exam set, yet you are denied admission. I am now at the point where I know I won't take another entrance exam because <laughs> it feels like I have been cursed yeah, to keep doing just that. I am tired of having people try to comfort me by saying, maybe God doesn't want you to, to go this time around. In this situation, what would you advise? Because mm. I'm starting to think God may not just want me to go to school. Well, there are instances that people actually really pass and they keep, you know, because we don't know anybody, blah, 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 being denied. Um, I would say that maybe you want to see us so that next time when you pass and they want to deny you, we will take them to court. cause trouble for them. Now, now, people don't, such people, they don't, when they see trouble coming, they don't like the trouble. They don't like press. So, if you actually passed, for instance, there's a lady that the lecturer was uh, harassing, and this lecturer is notorious for sleeping with ladies, and if he doesn't sleep with you, you are going to fail consistently as she was trying to sleep with this girl. And this girl happened to be my daughter. I said, give me the guy's number. By the time we were done, she got an A in that course. <laughs> People will oppress you when they see you don't have a voice. Nobody's backing you up. They, don't, they, they, they just think they can step over you. Give me his number. If you just receive a call, you just be any Mandelele, Matalakaya. <laughs> you say, I'm waiting for this now. <laughs> I'm telling you. I mean, honestly, I don't even know. I mean, there, there are different ways of dealing with those kind of people. Different ways. Quickly. The demons are struggling there. We say, you better leave this one. There's, at least there are many of them. <laughs> she had an A in the course. And she actually deserved to have an A. You can't live your life to chance. So, um, so maybe you want to do that. But generally, I would say, don't give up. That's what I would say. Um, I would also say, why you are not giving up? Continue living. Try and get a job. Try and start a business if you are that inclined. There are two types of education, remember? I didn't say it on Sunday. 
there's the formal education and there's the informal education. You can educate yourself. You can be streetwise. There are people that are not formally educated. They know stuff more than the people that are formally educated. And they are smarter. And they, they do well. But the problem is many people are not self-starters. For you to be self-educated, you must be able to push yourself. So, that answers that question. I'm going to run through um, a lot of questions we have here. Ah, there are still questions. Ha! You know, I, I, I really love these Q&A sessions. Maybe we should... Um, thank you. Maybe we should do a part two. Because <laughs> this is a lot of questions. Plenty. Okay, what we'll do is this. We were supposed to start a new series next weekend. I mean, how many people have been blessed by these questions? I mean, I mean, this has been very meaningful to you. Okay, excellent. So, this is actually very good. Now, we, we will not rush it. I, I will need to pull the curtain here because we have some mothers of four that still need to go. Children are even on vacation, sir. So, they, need to, they don't need to prepare anybody for school now. But... To sleep, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, but, and, you know, I need to draw the curtain. So, um, we will continue next week, God helping us. But I want to take um, a question or two from the ones I have. Then, these ones we will take from next week, and the ones you, you send. It says, um, it's similar. The first one is pastor. Uh, no, it's not similar. The ones I want to take is not, are not similar. Pastor, why do women wear trousers when the Bible teaches that women should not wear men's clothing? Like my wife is wearing trousers. Is she? Okay, she says it's tight. <laughs> What's the difference? <laughs> she does wear trousers. I mean, <clears throat> so are you not trying to say, Pastor, why is your wife wearing trousers? That's what you want to say. <laughs> Cuckoo say it. <laughs> you need to understand scripture. When a scriptural statement is cultural and when it's universal. That is a cultural statement. In fact, the Semite, the Semitic woman, the woman from the Middle East area, part of their dressing is, is the tr is trousers. That's where the Bible came from. You know they wear trousers and this their Punjab they wear trousers under and wear the Punjab. So they actually wear trousers. It's their culture. Did you know that in Scotland, the men, they wear what we will call a skirt. What's it called again? Um, Kilt. Okay. That is, so you, things that are not universal, you don't want to start breaking your head over it. 
I was told that our forefathers, particularly those from the East, until recently, it's only rapper that they were dying. Avina, is that true? So, they are wearing women's clothes. So, if you want to tie rapper to church <laughs> on Sunday, wears nothing on that. Okay, maybe pants. And ties rapper, what would you say? Why are you wearing women's clothing? So, so my, my point is this. Don't bother your head. As long as it is not revealing, as long as it's not, you know, exposing any part of the body that does not need to be exposed. If they want to wear wrapper from head to toe, if they want to wear agbada, by the way, nobody wears agbada in God's house. Why? Free. Okay, the final question we're going to take today, we'll continue next week by God's grace, is, is, is this, it says, how can I be attracted to my husband again if I don't feel anything for him? How can I be attracted to my husband again if I don't feel anything for him? Uh, that's a very interesting question. Now, Love in scripture, there are three dimensions of love. There's the filio, which is the brotherly love. That's love you have for your brother you know, and your sister. Da, 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 da. There's the eros, which is the sexual love. Love between two people. Male and female, hopefully. <laughs> that have sexual connotation. Then there is agape. Agape is um, sacrificial love. Love, the first two kind of love have to do with feelings. Agape has nothing to do with feelings. Agape is sacrificial love. Agape is a decision. It's not a feeling. Now, interestingly, the marriage institution or the marriage relationship is the only relationship that you can have the three together. It's the only relationship you can have filial, eros, agape. And for you to be happily married, you must maintain the three. What this person is saying, if I'm not mistaken, is failure and errors are gone. This person is not my friend anymore. I don't like this person anymore. And two, I don't love this person emotionally, sexually anymore. What can I do? It shows you want. You want help. You want it sorted out, which is fine. So what that means is you need to have a conversation with the person, your spouse. The woman has sent this. So you need to have a conversation with your husband and say, guy, listen, I don't like you anymore. And I feel 
zilch for you right now. I want to like you. I want to love you as I used to love you, more than I used to love you. We need to solve this problem. Now, that's your first step. If you don't have that conversation, it's not going to happen. So, that conversation will lead you to what costs friendship to go and the feelings to go. Because something usually happens. There's usually something he's doing consistently that has been stabbing you, stabbing you, stabbing you, stabbing you until there's nothing left. That has to be dealt with. And sometimes you may need help, a trusted third party. In church, we have married counseling. There are pastors that are, that are anointed and willing, going to walk you through it. Sometimes I do married counseling. I don't always do married counseling. I'm fine. I'm moving away from married counseling. <laughs> but sometimes I do. And I may, I, may do, I may take your case, you know. However, if both of you could have solved your problem, couldn't you have solved it since? Why would you let arrogance destroy your lives? It's arrogance now, it's pride. There's fire on the mountain, you need to sort it out. Meanwhile, agape is there now. And that is sacrificial love. And you can keep giving it regardless of how you feel. So in the meantime, keep loving him. Keep loving him by mean. Keep sacrifice. Keep doing what you need to do. Keep being a child of God. Keep going the extra mile. You know? Don't say, oh, I don't feel like it, so I'm not going to do it. Keep doing it because you're a child of God. That is agape. That is the sacrificial love. While you seek help for failure and errors. Let's bow our hearts as we bow our heads. I want us to just talk to God. I want us to talk to God. There's so many things. I mean, this, this is just super loaded. I don't know what minister to you or the areas. Just talk to God about it. God is here. He's near you. He, he wants to hear you. He wants to help you. And for some of us, it's that choice that we have been holding on to. The choice to say no to God. We have been using it. We have been saying no to God. We have been saying no to God. We have been saying no to God consistently. But God wants to give you another opportunity to say yes to him today. It's your choice. Remember, you can leave this place and still say no. But I hope you will leave this place choosing to say yes to God. You are here, you are saying, Pastor, that is me. I've been saying no to God. I want to say yes to God. Put up your hand. I want to pray with you. You don't need to come forward. Wherever you are seated. Wherever you are seated. If I put up your hand, put up your hand well. I've been saying no to God. I want to say yes to God. I want to choose to be on God's side. That is me. God bless you. Put up your hand, put up your hand. Well, well, well. God bless you. Okay, as a child. God bless you. Okay, put it up, put it up. Are you putting it on your head? Not on your head, on top of your head. I need to see that hand. Just, okay, wave it to me. Wave the hand to me. They are really putting it up. Wave it to me. The rest of us, let's talk to God about what we have heard. And say, Lord, 
you alone are my source. You alone are my God. You alone are my king. You alone are my defense. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for, for helping us. Thank you for answering these questions yourself. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Father, we ask that the grace to be doers of your word given to us. Honor and glory be given to you. Honor and glory be given to you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, we are prayed. Amen.